The Old Pilot's Playing Tales. U134. In 1941, the German Navy commissioned its latest submarine, the U-134, and as it slid out of harbour to join the 5th U-boat flotilla, Captain Lieutenant Rudolf Schendel keenly anticipated the mission ahead. A first patrol took the U-boat to the north coast of Norway, and in the freezing temperatures of December, he attacked a four-ship convoy. The ships were in two columns, and despite the dark, Schendel managed to target the second ship of the left-hand column with two torpedoes. A little after 9pm, the second torpedo struck the vessel amidships, and shortly after, it sank into the ice-laden sea. The mood aboard the U-boat was buoyant after the success of the attack, and the radio operator rapped out a report to naval command that they had sunk a steamer of 4,000 tons. A mere three hours later, the self-congratulatory euphoria on the boat was replaced with dismay as a shocking reply was received. Not only had the submarine crew overestimated the ship's tonnage by doubling it, but the vessel sunk had been the German steam merchant vessel Steinbeck, part of a German convoy escorted by armed trawlers. An investigation by the Navy High Command concluded that Schendel had made the incomprehensible mistake of thinking that it was possible for an enemy convoy to sail so close to German-occupied North Norway, and placed full responsibility on his head. The commander of U-boats, Admiral Hans-Georg von Friedberg, was more sympathetic, concluding that the commander should not be blamed because he lacked information about sailing times and positions of German ships in that area, and it was the first patrol of the U-boat, and the commander was in a new combat area of the Arctic waters. Whatever, the result wasn't an auspicious start for Steinbeck or his boat, but he would remain in command until early 1943, when he was relieved by the man who would take the submarine to its grave. You may be wondering why this Type 7C U-boat should feature in a plain tale, but bear with me as I introduce the K-74, Built a year after the U-134, the K-74 came from a company with an interesting origin, the Goodyear Zeppelin Corporation. In Britain and parts of Europe, the name Zeppelin would forever be linked with the death and destruction wrought on cities like Paris by bombing from the huge German airships made by Zeppelin. Before the First World War, civilians, particularly in Britain, had largely been unaffected by war, but as the German armed forces became increasingly deadlocked in the trench warfare that characterised the Great War, these vast flying machines could take the war to the heart of the enemy by attacking them in their homes. A report from Major General Ferrier, who commanded the defences around the city of Halt, reads... My staff officer went outside and saw a zeppelin overhead, 
very distinct against a clear sky, at a height estimated by him as three thousand feet. He saw three bombs dropped. As each one left the Zeppelin, the airship was clearly lit up. He then reported to me, and I heard five explosions, and I saw from my window that two fires had started. The Zeppelin had passed over, dropping thirty-two bombs on Hull City. The casualties up to date are nineteen, five men, nine women, and five children killed, and twenty-four seriously wounded. The anger, panic, loss of morale and chaos played into Germany's strategic use of Zeppelins. The British public were now caught on the front line of the war, and they were beginning to understand that war was not glorious when inflicted on civilians who couldn't fight back. The Germans' tactics of attacking cities became known as total war, and was, perhaps more so nowadays, considered detestable. Following the surrender of Germany and the conclusion of World War I, the Allies demanded that the Zeppelin airships be handed over as war reparations and compensation from the aggressor. Restrictions were placed on aircraft construction, which brought the company's work to a halt. However, to get around them, the Zeppelin company found a willing partner in the United States the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, and in 1924 the Goodyear Zeppelin Corporation was formed. German engineers and technical staff relocated, and the chief engineer of the Zeppelin Company became the vice president of engineering. Using its German expertise, the company subsequently constructed rigid and non-rigid dirigibles for the United States military, in their giant hangar constructed at Akron, Ohio, at the time the largest building in the world without internal support. By now Zeppelins sporting Nazi swastikas were being constructed in Germany, and as the Second World War broke out, Goodyear dropped the name Zeppelin from their title. Finally, in 1941, the company dissolved their joint venture. They did, however, continue to build airships for the U.S. Navy, including the K-Class Blimp. This family of aerostats was only one of a series used by the U.S. Navy at the start of the Second World War. The original pair of TC-Class, made to experiment with the concept of parasitic fighter aircraft used to unhook and defend the airship, were attained from the Army. They had four K-class, which were designed as patrol ships, and four training ships, three small L-class and a single G-class. When the U.S. entered the war in 1941, most of these craft were quickly pressed into service to deter Japanese and German submarines which were attacking shipping close to the American coast. These ten blimps and I use the term with confidence since Goodyear themselves refer to their non-rigid ships this way, were soon bolstered by the construction of 154 more. The civilian airships that Goodyear had used for advertising and such also took on war roles, in some cases before they were officially commissioned into service, requiring them to operate as privateers, 
something that hadn't been done since the War of 1812. The Navy blimp squadrons were mainly used to patrol and as anti-submarine ships. They were equipped with magnetic anomaly detectors and radar, and some were even flown to Gibraltar to help search out German submarines there. The PBY flying boats had been searching those waters, but the magnetic detectors needed to be flown at very low level to operate well, which was particularly difficult at night. The Goodyear blimps were considered a perfect solution, since they could fly low and stay on patrol for long periods, providing a detection barrier by night while the PBYs flew by day. I suspect that a long patrol wasn't too arduous for the nine-man blimp crew, since the control car was equipped with a General Electric combined grill stove and oven, a Manning Bowman coffee percolator, an Everhot roasterette, and a toaster of unknown manufacture. More importantly, the K-Class was armed with a 50 caliber Browning machine gun and four 350-pound Mark 47 depth charges. With the two Pratt & Whitney 425-horsepower radial engines clattering away noisily on other side of the gondola, the 250-foot-long airship could crack on at a maximum speed of 78 miles an hour, but it usually cruised at a slightly more sedate 60 miles an hour. However, it was able to stay airborne for over 38 hours and had a range of more than 2,000 miles. The crewmen consisted of a co-pilot, a navigator, two aviation machinists, three radio men, an aviation ordnance man and a seaman, all of whom came under the command of the pilot. Three years after the U-134 first sailed into battle, sinking one of its own ships, it would begin its last patrol. It sailed from the submarine pens at La Rochelle, set out around the north coast of Spain and out into the Atlantic. Cruising towards the Azores, it took a wide detour around them, as although Portugal was still a neutral country, Britain was concluding an agreement to lease airfields on the island from where it would base anti-submarine aircraft, which would become a vital turning point in the Battle of the Atlantic. Picking up its original track, the U-boat continued its voyage towards the southern tip of Florida. On the 8th of July, as it passed south of Bermuda by day and on the surface, it was spotted and attacked by an aircraft from the U.S. Navy Squadron VP-20. Despite receiving several hits from the submarine's guns, John Hitchcock, piloting the Martin PBM Mariner, attacked the U-boat. On his approach, the front turret's guns jammed, but he continued to press the attack despite receiving hits from the U-boat. Then the German anti-aircraft shells struck an engine before spraying around the inside of the PBM's open bomb bay. They smashed the bomb release mechanism, causing all eight depth charges to drop in a cluster some 300 yards short of the U-boat. As the marauder passed overhead, the tail gunner fired and a remarkable photograph taken at that moment shows the U-134 straddled by bomb explosions and bullet splashes in the water made by the tail gunner.
Badly shot up and on one engine, the PBM limped back to Bermuda, whilst the submarine continued on its westward journey towards a historic encounter. Fifty-eight days had passed, and the U-134 had yet to sink a ship, when on the 18th of July, 1943, she arrived in the Straits of Florida. As she did, the U.S. Navy airship, K-74, was being readied for departure from Naval Air Station Richmond, just south of Miami. At 7 p.m., the blimp was launched, and they headed south by southwest from the starting point of Key Biscayne. The mad equipment was on, looking for small changes in the Earth's magnetic field that might indicate the large metal presence of a submarine, but approaching midnight it was the radar operator who first saw the U-134, about eight miles away. The boat was on the surface after venting the stale air from inside and allowing the crew to enjoy some time topside in the warm tropical air, but now it was homing in on some nearby merchant ships. The large, slow-moving airships were always going to be vulnerable to anti-aircraft fire, so standing orders required the K-74 to stay out of range of surfaced submarines. Their job was to report their presence and to guide aircraft or ships into attack. But seeing the U-134's proximity to the merchantman, Lieutenant Grills disregarded his orders and brought his crew to battle stations. Closing in on the radar blip at 500 feet, the airship sighted a wake below them. The pilot manoeuvred so as to keep the airship down moon from the contact, and they trailed up the wake. Within a few minutes they'd sighted the submarine itself, but they were unsure if it was American or German, so they circled around in cloud to look again. This time they decided to approach, and if the submarine attacked them, they would know it was German. At 250 feet they commenced a run, and then the U-134 opened fire. The bright yellow-orange flashes from the boat's stick guns took away any indecision. This was the enemy. The airship gunner opened fire with his 50 caliber machine gun as the German gunners began to smash the airship's plexiglass windshield. The U-boat captain turned to make his boat the slimmest target he could whilst his gunners peppered the blimp, hitting the starboard engine and throwing the airship into a sideways drift. Down below, the Germans were having misfires and their defence became erratic whilst the airship's gunners saw numerous strikes from his weapon on the submarine's hull. As they neared the boat, Lieutenant Grills ordered bombs away, but the bombardier failed to hear him, and he was forced to repeat the command. Now almost on top of the U-boat, the Germans were firing point-blank up at the airship. It went out of control. It reared up onto its tail, with the nose of the blimp pointing skywards. The crew were thrown about as it began to gain altitude, rushing up to around a thousand feet, accompanied by severe shaking. With his craft threatening to overturn, the pilot jettisoned the slip tanks and the blimp stabilised, but below them the U-boat continued to fire. Severe damage was done to the outer and inner envelopes, the rudder and elevator were shot away, and the airship was going down tail first. 
They jettisoned what they could, sent distress messages, but at 23.57 the tail touched the water and the propeller blades sliced into the sea. This odd little battle was over. The U-boat reported receiving damage to ballast tank 5 and diving tank 4 and continued her patrol, but now the Navy was hunting her. The next day a Ventura bomber attacked the boat and they suffered more damage, this time to the batteries. She was ordered to return to base and despite another attack by Wildcats and Avengers from the USS Croatian almost managed to get there. The U-134 was finally sunk with all hands by depth charges from the British frigate HMS Robber. The crew of Blimp K-74, the only airship to be shot down during the war, swam away from their sinking machine, knowing that the remaining depth charges would explode as it went below the surface. They hung on to the remains of the gas bags for some hours until they were spotted by a Widgeon seaplane. The aircraft directed surface ships to the rescue, but sadly, just before they could be dragged aboard, the bombardier was attacked by a shark and he vanished in a crimson froth of blood. Initially, Lieutenant Grills and his crew were criticised for attacking the submarine against standing orders, but in 1961, Grills was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross and his crew Navy Commendation Medals after German records revealed that the K-74 had actually damaged the U-boat. It took 54 years for the family of Stessel, the only airship crewman to be killed by enemy action in the war, to posthumously receive his Purple Heart. Thanks to main man Micah for his idea that kicked off this particular plane tag. If you enjoyed this story, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. And you can find us at airlinepilotguy.com.